Welcome back to a new episode of Demand Gen Chat. This is actually our last episode of the season, and I was lucky to get a special guest today to help us wrap up season three of the podcast. So my special guest today is Latney Conant, CMO at Sixth Sense. Latney, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Tara, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for working me into season three. <laughs> I had to say the really special guest for last, so I'm glad you could join us. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit just right off the bat. Obviously, you're in charge of a big team of marketers, so I'd love to hear just what the main KPIs your team's responsible for and really just kind of what the key metrics that you're focused on growing as a team are. Sure. So I think my approach is tip uh, potentially a little different than others because I come from sales. And when I first got into marketing, I felt like there was no quota. And this made me very uncomfortable. Uh, I like to have a quota. Uh, I like to have, you know, one number, boom stats, like keeping it simple. I just felt like there were almost too many things we were measuring and you just never knew if you were like up or down or all around. So I have developed a system and I've been using it now eight years or so um, where we actually create pipeline quotas uh, based on the bookings target. And we look at every segment of our business. We look at every channel. We look back at all of the trends and make assumptions around ASPs, cycle times, conversion rates. Those get rolled up into essentially a pipeline quota. And then I track those maniacally. And I think a lot of CMOs listening would probably have a similar system. The difference is I don't care if it's marketing sourced or not. I only care to the extent that I'm looking at the channel trends. And if, if one channel converts a lot larger than another or et cetera, et cetera, I need to know those patterns. But I, I want to be the steward for Sixth Sense and for any organization that I'm, I'm running marketing at, the steward of pipeline. Um, you know, the best way to never miss our bookings target is to never miss our pipeline target. And so, you know, if that means working with Mark and saying, let's do a spiff for AE sourced, we're coming up with a spiff and we're going to stoke that pipeline. Um, and, and I think that's, that's potentially a little bit different than what I've seen, you know, sometimes how other CMOs think about it. Um, and then I would say, you know, the other thing about that is inherently because I've got this huge roll-up. I'm really, really focused on conversions, ASPs, and cycle times, which ultimately is what's going to drive our sales efficiency and, you know, the successful attainment on the sales team. Because hmm. if I have a conversion slip, like if our win rate slip, I got to go create more pipeline, right? So the easiest way to hit my pipeline goal <laughs> is to make sure we're converting more or the dollars hmm. are bigger, you know? So it, it kind of creates a nice, um, balance of top of funnel versus conversions that I'm always uh, looking at and, and making sure we're optimized. 
Yeah, I think you're right. That's definitely different than most marketers I've spoken to. At least a lot of us, and I know I've been in this boat, thankfully not now, but in the past where it was kind of a battle with sales over this was inbound sourced or outbound and marketing's job kind of stopped at op creation and we would just kind of let them worry about conversion down the funnel, which obviously doesn't work out very great when they have a rough month. It's kind of everybody's fault and can't really pinpoint where marketing can help if we haven't been involved up into that. Well, there's a bunch of challenges with that. Um, Mm -hmm. First of all, only 3% of website visitors fill out a form. Three. So what about the other 97? Uh, And so a lot of times if you're just like exclusively inbound because it's highly attributable, right? It's it's, Mm -hmm. it's the easiest one to quote unquote attribute. (laughs) You might not be incented to go out and think about the other 97 Mm -hmm. and how you maybe apply an outbound motion to get to them. The other fun fact I'll give you is um, we've done a lot of research on buying teams and buying signals. And so there's more broad research that that you can access. But one of the things I do is um, every quarter I take all of our deals that we won and then I look at how many engaged contacts to win the deal. And Q1, it was six. Q2, it's 10. So that's a lot of contacts to engage, to put on an AE in a deal cycle. And so I am always thinking about with Mark and our mutual teams, how do we help get the number of engaged contacts up? And actually, the earlier you do that in a cycle, the easier it is. So the longer you work a deal, it's actually harder to multi-thread. And so one of the things that we do is even if something comes inbound, our SLA is to go outbound as well and make sure that we pass three engaged contacts to sales. Mm -hmm. So they start out, even from the beginning of the opportunity, we're starting with a minimum of three engaged contacts. And how do you define engaged contacts? Because I feel like that's a newer term that people are starting to use. So I'm curious, what does that mean to your team? That's like, it's just looking on, um, so the Sixth Sense iframe, you can actually Mm -hmm. see, you know, engagement levels by key personas. um, And then you can take it down to the contact level, actually on the opportunity record. So we can see that um, they were coming to our website. They can, they consumed content. They showed up to meetings. Um, you know, they were like present in the cycle. Mm. So you have like a threshold essentially of engagement yes. for them to pass. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Cool. And you mentioned channels as well. So I'm curious, cause that's another one that people can define <laughs> differently. So when you say channels, are you thinking, traditional marketing channels or are SPIFs and outbound kind of considered channels in there as well? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big hairball. And so you just have <laughs> to know it's a hairball mm-hmm. uh, and it it's going to be directionally right. But the way we channel it is channel, no pun intended, <laughs> but partner, right? Mm-hmm. So if it was you know, something, an opportunity that I'm partner, and we're, we're, we're all opportunities. So an opportunity partner brought us, um, and we have a whole partner team that's fabulous. Um, AE direct, um, uh, outbound. So we have a BDR team 
mm-hmm. that does outbound. Uh, typical inbound. And then ABX. Mm-hmm. And it varies by uh, segment what we expect. And what I mean by that is you get to our strategic segment, that's like 10,000 plus. That is not going to be an inbound motion. Mm -hmm. It's going to be ABX, partner, outbound for the most part. I mean, maybe they get a lit, right? And then you go down market, less than 500 employees and even less than 50 employees. And it's 100%, you know, or 80%. So I think you also have to think about like what realistically, like how these type of accounts engage and buy and set your expectations uh, around that um, mm-hmm. and plan your resources and teams and stuff accordingly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, everyone would love it if the big fish came inbound, but <laughs> it doesn't happen too often. So you often have to go get those on your list and hunt them down with that outbound. Yeah. And a lot of times what you'll see is like an outbound drives an inbound, you know, so, you know, those are the type of anomalies that you have to watch for. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so actually at that segment level, it's, we're we're more all bound to be honest, Mm -hmm. um, because of that. Whereas at some of the lower tiers that have significantly more volume, it's, Mm -hmm. um, obviously we separate inbound from outbound. Yeah. Cool. And does the way that you grew the marketing team match with that kind of, I don't want to say funnel because it's not really a funnel, but that um, the way that your accounts are set up. So having the ABX team go after large accounts, the inbound team focusing more small and mid-market, was that how you built out the team? No, but it does work out that way, like mm-hmm. in their goals, right? And the right. way that we, like, because we do that big buildup, Right. Uh, where we're looking at each segment and, and making mm-hmm. a- assumptions. It's a constant challenge. Uh, it's never going to be 100% right. But the way we operate is we have a brand and digital team. And brand and digital sits together under a leader. And under that is, gro- is the growth team. So that's everything on the web. That's all of our advertising. That's our high value CPAs. Um, We're actually experimenting with the PLG motion. Um, You know, but it also all the creatives and the content sit together on a team. And that's a big team. Then we have demand gen uh, uh, ops and analytics. Hmm. And so that's a lot of like the guts of campaigns. That's a lot of like, like all the marketing systems, you know, the success, lean data, sales loft. It's all the connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously all the reporting. Um, it's, you know, even, even like Asana, like how we manage our tier one and tier two and who's doing what. Um, so oh, they're wow. kind That's of a, under that ops team. Yeah. So they're sort of oh. a command center of technology and process and mm-hmm. reporting. Then, of course, we have our BDR team, which is another pretty big team, global BDRs. Um, and that's under a leader. And then last, we have our ABX team. And that includes all like typical field marketing and corporate events and things like that, as well as like 
BBX place. Um, and I think that's where there's can be some like, uh, well, they, that team has to work, you know, they, they need resources from pretty much everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. So it all ends up kind of blending together. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And then actually under PMM, we actually, we have customer marketing who is responsible for upsell pipeline. So a lot of, um, a lot of functions responsible for moving the needle on pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's great when there's a straight line to, I mean, at least for me, when I know my job gets the, and you can kind of for see that, where the that. revenue is coming from. I think that's really satisfying to a lot of people, especially with your sales background. I could see why that would be appealing. Um, I'm curious because it's probably the one marketing role we don't have yet is anything in the ABM, ABX side of the house. So how did you know when it's time to scale that team? Is it there's just so many ideas for plays that we want to get out the door that we can't get it all done? Is it our target account list is bigger? Well, I'm a big believer in running big, meaningful programs versus a bunch of little dippity doopity stuff. Hmm. And I think without... What I love about having the ABX team is they they help us with our tiering, right? So we know mm-hmm. BDR Appreciation Week is coming up in February. It's going to be a huge lightning strike. And they make sure there's enough energy around those big lightning strikes. So it's mm-hmm. not just everyday dippity-doppity-doopity. Um, because things need a beginning and a middle and an end. And so the ABX team helps us with all of our tier one activations and, and own most of that. Um, and the tier twos, which would be, you know, a roadshow or, uh, or something, or, or a joint partner campaign. We do like one joint partner campaign order. Mm-hmm. Um, so just making sure that we have the right energy and lens around those and and making sure that they're not just doing them to do them they they actually tie out to a segment so that so when i think about account based it's like everything we do ties to some segment of account that we want to activate so everything we do is ultimately to some degree account based because if you come to your our website you're going to get a different campaign cta experience based on the accounts that you're in. Um, so that's kind of like a, an underlying premise. And then I think the ABX team just helps us take the tier three campaigns and elevate them and, and bring them to the next level with, um, so it's a lot of brand, honestly. A lot of our brand comes to life in like our physical experiences the ABX team runs. Hmm. Yeah, I like it makes sense though to have that discipline to tie it back to a segment or a tier. So you're not, I like your point, just doing things to do them because I think, especially now we have a lot of FOMO as marketers. We see people doing stuff on LinkedIn that looks fun or we see a campaign at a trade show that we think. Yeah. Everyone has six podcasts. Well, okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, maybe we do need one. Maybe we don't. We may not need six. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe start with one and see if you can get some traction. Yeah. Yeah. Dip your toes in the water. Um, on the note of just kind of growing up the team, I'm curious because obviously you've hired a ton of marketers now. Um, what do you look for when you're bringing on a new marketer to the team? And then do you have any red flags that you look out for? 
So there's a savviness that people need to have <laughs> about just how to get stuff done. Um, so it, it's they're curious about trying new things. They, they want to get the job done in the best mm -hmm. way possible. And they're open to trying new technology or approaches to, to go and do it. Um, and then there's some detail orientation. You know, one, one of the things I talk about is like, you know, that saying, don't sweat the small stuff. Well, if you mm -hmm. want to come and work on this team, we sweat, we sweat the small stuff. Um, because the difference between eh, marketing and great marketing is the small stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that detail orientation and it is, is really important for me. I think that I'm not surprised to hear that just based on what you were saying earlier about just little campaigns to do them, to do them and get them out the door. I feel like teams that are doing that constantly have to be dropping the ball on some details just to get things done. Right. So when yeah. you're focused and yeah, detail oriented, it's just much better results. And especially when you have such a big brand team, it makes a lot of sense to be focused on them. Mm -hmm. And then what do you not like to see through the hiring process? Is there anything that jumps out at you as a red flag? I really look for what I call the victim syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to suss out, okay, well, why did you do that? And why did you leave here? And why did you go there? And it, if you start to hear a pattern of it was never my fault. It was always somebody else's fault. My boss was crazy, this, that, and the other. It's just a huge, it, it's a big, and it, usually it's not that blunt, but you, if you start to really dig, well, like, why did you, why did you change? For, and, and even people who are like often changing within a company, it's like you haven't had the same role for six months. So either you're like an amazing superstar. <laughs> Just getting everything done. <laughs> right. Or mm -hmm. nothing's ever good enough for you, you know. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of like trying to look for that like big dumb syndrome. And then, you know, this was this when I was preparing. You know, all about me versus all about we. And some of like the aggressive posting on LinkedIn, like people that have time to like post everything they're doing all day. I'm like, how do you have time to do that? Like, how are you getting your work done? You mm -hmm. know? Um, and so I just really sort of look at like, you know, are they all about themselves? Or are they all about the company that they were at and what the team achieved? Um, mm -hmm. That's really important because no great marketing happens without a pretty large group of people needing to come mm -hmm. together and get it done. Yeah, that's a really good point. I had a previous boss, this was a few years ago, but she used to say that some marketers are really good at marketing themselves and others are good at marketing the company and the team that they work for. And you can usually tell the difference right away, especially like you said, when you follow people on LinkedIn, you get a good kind of glimpse of just what they think of their work and their team and what they're spending time on. Yeah. And I always ask, you know, what would your teammates work what would your peers say about you? What would your old boss say about you? What would, mm -hmm. and then back channel, back channel, back channel, always. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where it helps to have connections before, before you're hiring. So you can make those asks of people, right? Um, I'm curious, you've been at Six Sense, I think over four years now. Um, I'm sure it's changed a ton, but what comes to mind for you in just B2B marketing in general of things that are dramatically different from four years ago? 
it's interesting, like four years ago, a lot of what we were talking about was brand new, mm-hmm. you know, with intent and, and um, web de-anonymization and um, predictive analytics. And, you know, last year at our customer conference, one of the things I talked about was like, you got to wanna, you got to wanna remain competitive. Just buying technology and having great data, like that doesn't make you connect. Like anybody can go and buy this stuff now mm-hmm. and use it. Um, so, how are you using it more in a more innovative way? How are you really taking advantage of, you know, every single data set, um, every single piece of functionality? So I think that there was like this big step change, but now as more and more people, as these tools become more and these processes become more mainstream, you you have to continue to differentiate, you know, how you use them. Um, And one of the things we believe is like every signal and every data point matters. So we're trying to help our clients amass as many different signals as they can, because, because that one that's that one percent difference that's the deal you you got into that maybe you wouldn't have or the ad that got served that maybe it wouldn't so it's all about like maintaining a, a competitive advantage um i think that's that's really important and not falling behind um and then the other thing it's like gosh it the change curve is crazy <laughs> I mean, we've been through like four years, a lot has happened, like pandemic, then we were better. And then we pandemic again. Now we're in like an economic meltdown, you know, um, a lot of like political angst. I mean, it's like every day. There's just a lot more like volatility. Like I think about when I was at Aperio putting together an annual plan. That's what we did every year. Yeah, and it's like laughable now. <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe it's like two quarters. <laughs> you know, we do, yeah. you know, we do a two year strategy and we do these things, but a real plan. Mm-hmm. I don't freaking know. <laughs> I don't know if the Fed's going to increase interest rates again <laughs> um, or how the market's yeah. going to react. Right. So I think it's just like um, a lot of volatility to, to, manage through as a leader um but also as an individual and an individual contributor like like you just there's a new level of uh agility that you have to have um mm-hmm. when, when i was in consulting i remember i was interviewing um and one of the questions the gentleman asked me he said so laddie do you think you're flexible i was like oh yeah i'm real flexible <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want me to like, <laughs> stretch, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, he's like, flexible is too rigid here. You have to be fluid. You know, but, but I, yeah, it was probably mm-hmm. my second job. And I just remember that. Oh yeah. Flexible is rigid. You have to be fluid. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I feel like just on the topic of, I mean, there's a new like global news story every day that seems like the world is ending. Um, Have you had any challenges just keeping your team 
kind of excited and motivated about what they're working on throughout that? And is there anything that you think has really just kind of worked to keep people just all on the same page? No one, th- I mean, I wish I could be like, oh, this is the thing. Yeah, it's nice. this app donut and then everyone meets and yay. But, you know, yeah. you kind of have to try everything twice. I think that, mm-hmm. I-, I think for our team, for me and our team, feeling like we're doing really meaningful work and meaningful marketing matters. Mm-hmm. So trying to limit fringe that isn't that cool and isn't that important and maybe won't move the needle and really going all in on big projects, I think we all get really jazzed about that. And so, you know, trying to feel like like we can be really proud of our work Mm -hmm. and the output of our work. And so I feel my job is to the degree I can Make sure people have the resources to be able to do that. Make sure I can, you know, help say no to the things that are crazy ideas uh, so that we can all feel like when Sixth Sense does something, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, my kind of commitment to the team is, is this is not a lifestyle job. It's very, very demanding. Um, so I'm, I'm clear on that, but you will learn a ton. And, and so, you know, you you sort of have to be in the right mentality of wanting to learn and grow and try stuff and, and really push your own capabilities and, and for the right type of person, it's very, very fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like. I mean, anytime you do something that you're proud of and a big project you can cross off the list, it's hard not to feel motivated by that and just want to keep doing more. So I feel like yeah. that's a good mindset to have on the team. Um, I've touched on this in a previous episode a little bit, but I definitely consider myself one of those B2B marketers that kind of ruined gated content, I like to say, um, just because we used to basically force people to fill out forms to read all of our great content or all the best content we had um, and kind of lead with everything else. So I'm curious, obviously, your book came out a little while ago now. Um, but we're on the no second form. edition. The second edition yeah, launched a week ago. that's what I wanted to ask ago. you about. So I'd love yeah. to know, I know you were really motivated to make some changes to the second edition. So just curious, like what has changed in that time since you published that you felt like, oh, I really need to make this change and update it now? Yeah. So, so a couple things. One, you know, there's an article or a set chapter three talks about the ideal tech stack, which I think had changed. So I felt like I needed to update <laughs> Probably that. Probably changes every month. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I'll have a new edition next week too. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but the most important one was I felt I needed a chapter from sales. Mm-hmm. I needed the sales perspective. And even though I've been in sales before, I'm not now. And so I wanted that like sales voice. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the head of sales here wrote a chapter on how he sees this approach and how he's managed the change and the type of results mm-hmm. that he's seen. So, and, and everyone wanted that. Everyone said, we love your book. We want something that we can send to sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> to don't get always them on board. from us. <laughs> and they're not going to read the whole yeah. book. Uh, which mm-hmm. okay fine chapter, you know <laughs> yeah so so we've got a chapter yeah. and it's forwardable 
And then I also did just a little section, like these are the questions that when I'm doing book groups and presentations and stuff continue to come up. So obviously I missed them somehow, right? (laughs) And so I have a little kind of FAQ on here's the gotchas, here's the things that people, you know, ask and and want to understand. And then we have a foreword from our CEO. Uh, so, so that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the, what's new and, and cool about it. Uh, what, what is also really cool about it is, you know, we self-published the original and it's been pretty successful and we've had trouble keeping up with distribution, uh, particularly like internationally. So, you know, for us, you know, getting picked up by Wiley so that we can make sure that we can fulfill, you know, in India and in uh, Germany and France and, you know, all these places where it was proving challenging <laughs> uh, to do with, was mm-hmm. was important. That's really cool. Yeah, it must feel good to not have to worry about all the logistics so much because <laughs> I can imagine that was a lot internationally. Yeah. That's so exciting, yeah. though. It is. It's feel really good to have a second edition out. Um, I'd love to just kind of switching gears. I'd love to talk about just obviously we touched on that it's a tough time economically. Things are a little bit rocky. But what do you think are the biggest challenges for CMOs right now, whether it's like for their team internally hiring or do you think it's more about hitting their targets and reaching their KPIs? So. My title is actually Chief Market Officer, and I really advocate for marketers to think of themselves as market, 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 Hmm. because we can get very focused on the ing, Mm -hmm. which is all the stuff that we do, and not be focused on what what does this mean for our market? What's the impact we're having on the market? How are we shaping the market? And so... You know, obviously I talked to a lot of CMOs and we talk a lot about that and, and the CMOs voice and strategy and TM analysis and working with sales on even things like territory design. And if the territories aren't designed in markets that you think you can market to and serve, that you're going to have a major issue <laughs> with alignment, mm-hmm. you know, so. So we talk about those things. I talk a lot with CMOs. I think for demand gen, though, professionals, what does that mean for you? And and and, and I think thinking, okay, we're going to do this campaign. What's the segment of accounts? Why this segment of accounts? Mm-hmm. How does this segment of accounts convert? You know, so like you can also have a market lens at all times. And we are in a challenging market, like newsflash. It is a challenging market. Um, and... So what does that mean? Well, there's things we can control and there's things we can't control. So can't mm-hmm. control Fed, but we can control who we choose as our market. And so, you know, for us, really, really doubling down, what are the most winnable segments? Where are we going to go to expand growth in TAM? Which segments might get, and COVID was the same thing, which segments are going to get hit harder than others? Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to still be in a position to buy? So really thinking through that and and dissecting that uh, often to make sure that your sales and marketing machine is pointing pointed at the most winnable accounts is really important. Mm-hmm. And when and you then say the most winnable, thing, 
Can you touch on just what you mean by most winnable? Is it the best close rate, the biggest accounts, combination of a bunch of things? Yeah, it's a combination. But, you know, you want to ultimately look at, um, of course, ASP cycle times, uh, win rates. But then you also want to look at uh, retention Mm -hmm. as well as NRR, right? Because... um, and so I shouldn't probably even call it that most winnable because you, you can go win an account and sell churn and then you're, you're really not, not doing yeah, yourself not really winning or the company yeah. a lot of service. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's saying like, you know, who's buying right now, like a lot of looking at velocities mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, because, and I think it's particularly looking at like velocity and conversion because especially right now, um, you know, there are companies that might not have four or five quarters to play it through. So who yeah. who is really and and an intent date is great. Who's in market? Who's still in market? Uh to mm-hmm. be able to to do that analysis is important. So that's something you can control. The other thing you can control is your message and make sure that it's appropriate for mm-hmm. the market and what the market wants to hear and needs to hear. And then last, you could control your execution and, you know, um, just out execute everybody else. And a lot of times that's the winning formula. Yeah, I think a lot of times, at least what marketers that I talk to out execute often just means get it done first, which isn't always the best way to get things done. Um, Sometimes you wait and see what someone, you know, and then make it better. That's what I was going to ask you is if you, I'm assuming that you are on the same stance just because you said the piece about detail-oriented team members, but um, sometimes it is better to wait and see and watch other people kind of, not necessarily stumble, but try it out first and see what you can learn from their campaigns. Um, Is there anything that you've seen anyone try? Like, obviously, no naming names or anything, um, but any type of campaign you've seen people try and then you kind of realize like, oh, I'm glad we didn't try that and I'm glad we waited it out. Oh, that happens daily. I yeah. see a lot of bad marketing <laughs> every day. So, but why don't I take this in a different direction and I'll talk mm-hmm. about the campaigns that inspire me. Um, yeah, that's more fun. So there was a Dove campaign that showed all different shapes and sizes of women. And that remains one of my favorite campaigns uh and so it it was emotional it was inspiring and at the time no one that it was brand new everybody used the model the exact one you're talking about (laughs) you can see it in your mind and now Mm. now it's not like a you know it's not but it was brand new and so i I would say i'm less maybe about read and see and more about take take a couple big risks and go all in on them because that's what i think great marketing so i love that um Another thing that we do is we'll sort of look at what everyone in the space is doing and then we'll say, well, let's do something totally different. Mm. So better marketing doesn't necessarily work, different works. So, you know, we really try to see if we can do something that, you know, maybe a different spin or a different approach or bold. Um, mm-hmm. I really like how people are using derived data, like derived data from their platform for thought mm. leadership, mm-hmm. um, y- you know, 
helping buyers buy is an important part of marketing. So, you know, there's a couple great folks out there that, and I think there's sort of a void with like Topo being gone and serious decisions. So we Mm. we stood up Sixth Sense Research because I thought that was really interesting and necessary and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, something we wanted to, to capitalize on. Um, so those are some of the places that, you know, we benchmark, uh, every six months we do a pretty robust benchmarking. And is that just internally or do you have customer data for that as well? Uh, it's, we, we benchmark competitively. We benchmark Mm. against people in our ecosystem that aren't really competitors, but, you know, would be in MarTech or sales tech. We benchmark what we would consider best in class. We benchmark against just what sometimes our, um, our, we, we are insights, one of our investors, and they're great about giving us benchmark data to use. Um, mm-hmm. So it depends on the, the function, what, what the right benchmarks sometimes are. But I think sometimes yeah. you, you, you can't just navel gaze, right? So you're up 100%. If you're still rinky dink and not making any type of like, <laughs> Hundred percent might be two when it was one. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So you know, you should be proud of that. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. And we do year over year and quarter over quarter and all that. But I think I'll, sometimes yeah. you got to like zoom out and be like, how does this really compare about what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my next question was going to be where you get the data, but you covered that. Um, I think that's always a challenge. Is we internally we always talk about benchmarking. It's just getting either partners or customers that are willing to share that data and are also excited about benchmarking too, just so that we can just sh- kind of share those wins. And Yeah. I put out an ebook, I think like last week, or huh. it's either coming out or it, it just came out that where I sourced mm-hmm. all of where what, what we use. Oh, great. I'll have to check that out. I'll put the link for that in the show notes too. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was like to yeah. put it all together the first. First time everybody wants benchmark, so they just don't know where to go, right? Yeah. So, so the first yeah. time was super painful, and now we're like, okay, we know this is what we. Yeah, you know use. who's publishing it. And yeah, that's awesome. Great. So I, um, I'd love to move on to our quick fire rounds. Just a couple of quick questions to wrap up with you. First, cool. is there any other marketer you follow that our listeners should go check out and maybe subscribe to them or follow their content? Well, I love Matt Hines. We're partners in crime. Mm-hmm. With our community. So, um, you know, always love, love working with him. Uh, we recently put out a board book. So these are CMOs who are also board ready. Um, and I posted this. There's 60 awesome CMOs in here, but they're more experienced CMOs who could also be serving on board. So I would definitely check out any of these amazing women uh, for inspiration. Cool. Where can we find the list of CMOs that you have in there? Uh, it's on empoweredcmo.com. Great. We'll add that. Link. Um, it's under the board it book. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And is there an under the radar channel or maybe a tactic that your team is either loving right now or just starting to play around with? Oh, yeah. This is going to blow your mind. Um, this is my favorite question of the whole thing every time. So we get to beta a lot of stuff in our product, which is really fun. Mm. And this launches in two weeks. So by the time this is out, it will hopefully have already been launched. But my biggest challenge is 
I'm able to pick up all these in-market opportunities. Right. But I want to make sure that they, I, I call it a revenue moment, right? There's these revenue moments and we know that they're in market, how do I make sure that we capture every single revenue moment and none get missed, even if it's a weekend or whatever? And so um, we we started thinking about that, and we started thinking about well, what you know, how do we make, how do we start to like revolutionize email? Because email hasn't really changed in a long time, uh, and. The challenge with email is making it, is writing the email, not sending the email. There's lots of ways to send emails. But we're gathering all this behavioral information about what content you consumed, where you went on the website, if you're researching a competitor, what your persona is. Gosh, that, you could write a killer email, a series of emails with that. And so there's this natural language processing technology, GPT-3. I always like to say it wrong, GTP-3, um, that actually allows, that, that is about writing, writing. And people have written term papers and all kinds of stuff using this, this technology. And so mm-hmm. we've leveraged that to be able to take all of our rich data and intense signal and actually write the first email. Uh, propose the first email. So that's pretty cool. Hmm. But it's not just that. It's also um, AI-driven email to understand, did you loop someone else in? You might say, Latney, I'm not the right person. You need to talk to Nick. Well, the AI email sees Nick that you looped in Nick and then picks the email chain up and sends it to Nick. Or you might say, Latney, I'm out of the office, or your out of office might come on, and then the AI says, okay, we'll follow up with her in two days or three days or whatever. And so it's also able to, like, read the incoming emails and make some decisions to be able to help you in a, in a uh, relevant but very robust and efficient way work a lot of the demand signals that you're getting. Um, and so we've been able to pilot this and we call it free money. I mean, we have found so many opportunities that would have otherwise like not gotten worked. Um, and so that's been really fun. That's very cool. We just, um, our Dreamforce is just wrapping up while we're recording this. Um, I don't think I've ever gotten so many out of offices before yeah, from sending right? a marketing email. So it would be really handy to play around. Right. With exactly. Like that. Exactly. Very cool. Great. And lastly, what's the best channel to follow you on if people want to see more content from you, Lani? Uh, LinkedIn. Great. We will add that link. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you having me on your show. Thanks so much. And thanks everybody for listening. That was season three of Demand Gen Chat. And we'll be back in the new year.